if you put two kids in front of me with two different diagnoses, breast, same respiratory symptoms, and one of them is RSV, I know that this kid is probably gonna get sicker first before it actually gets better. About 5% of all the RSV infections will actually need more support. At St. Bernard's, we never stop caring. It's why we provide the most comprehensive women's care in the region. Here to support you throughout life, including OBGYN telemedicine services, plus comprehensive care for pregnant women, like 24-7 OBGYN and pediatric physician coverage, certified lactation specialists, and the only OB emergency department and NICU in the region. Make an appointment with an OBGYN. Visit womens.stbernards.info or call 870-207-7300. Welcome back to HealthWave. I'm your host, Mitchell Nail, and at HealthWave, we believe your health matters because you matter. We hope you're healthy and well today. As always, HealthWave is made possible by St. Bernard's Healthcare. It's the largest healthcare system in Northeast Arkansas and Southeast Missouri. St. Bernard's now has a new, more user-friendly look. Whether you need to find a doctor, the closest St. Bernard's facility to you, or just anything they've got going on, visit stbernards.org. Info. Joining me in studio is Dr. Enrique Gomez. He's Chief of Neonatal Intensive Care and Pediatrics at St. Bernard's Medical Center in Jonesboro. And Dr. Gomez has been with St. Bernard's for about three years now, and in that time has helped lead an expansion of the hospital's NICU as well as establishing a pediatric palliative care program. Dr. Gomez, welcome to HealthWave. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you for having me. Tell us what brought you to St. Bernard's. And I really like the kind of family environment that the hospital and the unit has. Whenever they care for the NICU babies, they actually get to care for the parents a lot, and, and the nurses are very involved in that care. That was something that is rare to find in many other units. If memory serves me correctly, you grew up in Peru? Yes. How did you wind up on a journey in medicine? Uh, I liked medicine since the beginning. Since I was about nine or 10 years old, I already wanted to do medicine. And I initially wanted to go into neurosurgery, but then when I entered the NICU, I'm like, okay, no, this is what I like. I guess kind of just a general fascination with uh, how the human body works then. Yes. Uh, in the NICU, we take care of the preterm babies. So these are babies that they are still forming and they're still developing. And many people don't know, but even when you're born full term, your lungs, your brain, your kidney, a lot of the organs are not still fully developed. They continue growing and they continue developing until 20 years of age in some cases. So in the NICU, you can see that more on a daily basis. So it's, it's something that is just fascinating. What's the smallest baby you've cared for in a NICU setting? It's about 400 grams. 400, 500 grams. So oh that's about a pound. Yeah. Less than a pound. It's amazing how you rewind the clock just a couple decades, what would have been an automatic death for an infant that's born, and now we're able to take care of them, and we have good outcomes in those settings. Not even a couple of decades ago, neonatology is one of the most dynamic subspecialties, I would say. That is, we're still learning a lot, and, and it's changing quite a bit. So the care that we are providing today is very different than the care that I used to provide three years ago. And it's very different than the care that I used to provide when I was a resident back in 2010. Do you consider it more of that you're bringing these infants full term or that you're actually just kind of teaching them to grow and now that they're, you know, outside the womb? We just support them. Yeah. We just support them and they are, are the ones that do the growth. They are the ones that fight infections. They are the ones that that continue developing. We always tell the parents, they are the bosses. They are the ones that are going to decide when they're going to eat. They are the ones that are going to decide when 
when they're ready to go home, basically. So the care that we do is we support them. We, we provide the respiratory support, we provide the temperature support, the nutrition support, and just give them time. And day by day, they grow, and day by day, they get better, and day by day, they, they develop more. Speaking of Dr. Enrique Gomez with St. Bernard's Medical Center, Dr. Gomez, one of the reasons we're having our discussion today revolves around respiratory syncytial virus, commonly called RSV. According to CDC data, RSV is the leading cause of hospitalization for U.S. infants, and it can be deadly. How often do you see it at St. Bernard's, and are certain times of the year worse for it? RSV is very, it's a very dangerous virus. I, I would say that it's probably more common than the flu, definitely more common and with more morbidities than COVID. And it's something that we see every year. The season starts in around October and ends in around March. So basically what happens is that whenever a kid comes to the ER with symptoms, the kid get tested and if it's, and if it tests positive, that is reported to the CDC. So the CDC will track how many positive tests happens in a week or in a month. And then based on that, decide, okay, we are in plain full season or not. How many we see? Well, let me tell you, we have about 500 admissions to the pits floor every year. I would say that probably 60% of, the, of those happen during RSV season. What ages are we looking at? Most common RSV is for less than one year. How does it attack these infants and why does it affect them more than even, say, young children? So first of all, young children are more in the house. They are more in a bubble kind of thing. People don't go out that much whenever you have a newborn. You have kids, you have, I see all your wonderful pictures, so you know very well when they are when they are new in the first couple of months or something, you don't go out that much. You're tired, you're adapting and all of that. But then you start going out and then they start getting around. And then if you get into season, then other kids get sick and then they can get contagious. So what happened in younger kids, because RSV is present in everybody, all ages, and actually in, in older adults, it's also very common and it also can cause mortality. But what happened in younger kids and kids are about one year or less than a year of age is that their respiratory ways are smaller than in older kiddos. So they, whenever they get congested, whenever they get the mucus, whenever they get the, all, the, all those fluids in the lungs, they cannot breathe well. So that's what causes the symptoms. And as they cannot breathe, they, they don't drink, so they get dehydrated. So a lot of this disease is basically a respiratory and a hydration kind of component. So the respiratory part can get as bad as actually going into being intubated on mechanical ventilation. And thankfully, the majority of them, they don't need much. The big majority of kids, they will need some support. They will need patience. They will need suction of the mucus and just wait, wait it out. It normally lasts between three to seven days. Around day four, day three to five is kind of the worst day. And around day seven is when they actually start getting better. Now these kids are going to be coughing for days right. and days and weeks, <laughs> and you know very well. So Kids get snotty, I mean, yep. you, for, for lack of a better term. And uh, as a parent, especially if you're a new parent, you know, you've got a kid that's a year or younger. How do you know if it's RSV, a cold, COVID, or any of these types of viruses that can attack the respiratory system? And when should a parent think about bringing their child into the hospital? Great questions. Um, first, you cannot know. By just looking at the child, you cannot know. When to bring it to the kid, to the hospital 
there is a couple of things, respiratory and hydration. So basically, if the kid is breathing too fast, if the fever is maintained for more than 48 hours, if the kid is, is not able to do the normal activities, or if the kid is having retractions, which means that the, the skin between the ribs and under the ribs is actually coming in whenever the kid breathes because he's breathing too fast. On those kind of situations, you need to come to the ER and you need to go to the, your pediatrician and get tested. And the reason why we test is because it's not because we have a specific drug that is going to treat RSV or a specific drug that is going to treat COVID or, well, we have some drugs for flu, but it's not very common to use it. But it's because with the testing, we kind of know, we can predict a little bit how this is going to be. So if you put two kids in front of me with two different diagnoses, same respiratory symptoms, and one of them is RSV, I know that this kid is probably going to get sicker first before it actually gets better. And I know how long more or less it's going to take and know that it's going to get sicker around day three, day four of life. So it kind of helps me predict what's going to happen. About 5% of all the RSV infections will actually have a severe RSV. It's about 5 to 10% will have a severe RSV infection that will need more support. Speaking with Dr. Enrique Gomez with St. Bernard's. Dr. Gomez, let's talk about a big breakthrough for RSV. Uh, there are some new treatment options, medications, and there's one in particular. It has been shown to reduce infant hospitalizations from RSV. That's substantial. Tell us about it. Yes. So it's called Bayfortus. Bayfortus is a monoclonal antibody. So it's a medication that basically we give to the kids and those antibodies, which actually protects against the infection, stays around the infant and stays around for about five to eight months. Most of the studies have shown that five months is actually the most strongest period, but in some kids actually stay for about eight months. These antibodies, what they do is whenever the kid is exposed to the RSV virus, it will capture the RSV and it will actually hold on it. So the, the virus will not cause a huge infection on the patient. It can cause an infection, yes. It can cause some of the symptoms, yes. But it has decreased, the, as you said, it has decreased the hospitalizations and it has decreased the severe disease in these babies. Now, this was approved by the FDA back in July of this year. So it's, a, it's been approved for only three months. Uh, so a lot of people might concern, oh my God, this is very right. new. But in reality, this has been studied for many, many, many years. And on top of that, Currently, we have a medication that is called Synergist that was approved back, back in 2004, so that's 19 years ago, and we use it on our premature babies, and we use it on, on babies that have, for example, heart conditions, because these babies, premature babies and, and babies with heart conditions, actually, they are very susceptible to RSV, to severe RSV. So we use that medication in, to prevent RSV in them. Now, the good thing with Bifortos is that, first, it lasts longer, Synergies we need to give once a month. Bayfortis is only one time. And the second thing is that it actually is prescribed for, is, is recommended for all babies. So that's a huge change. Is this given to babies after they're delivered or is it given to the moms while they're, uh, they're pregnant? No, this is given to the babies after the delivery. It's recommended to give it within the first week of life because you want to start protecting them as soon as possible. And it's only recommended to be given during, the, during or near the RSV season. So, for example, I presume that in years to come, is we're going to start giving it most probably like something around September all the way to uh, March probably. Are there any options that women can do that would help protect their their baby? I know breastfeeding is usually recommended for antibodies and such, but yes. just tell me a little bit about those options. 
as you said, breastfeeding, I mean, if a woman had a, an RSV infection recently that just didn't develop any symptoms or anything like that, she's going to have the antibodies and those antibodies are going to pass to the baby. Basically, Bayfortis is doing something similar. It's giving antibodies to the baby to protect the baby. Other option is, I know that recently there has been another, an RSV, I think it's, a, I think it's as well, a monoclonal antibody. I'm not 100% into the research, but I know that it's been approved to be given to women that are pregnant. And I think that is more than 32 weeks. I okay. think so. And that, well, what it does is basically it, it kind of imitates that natural process of passing the, the antibodies to the baby. So the baby is born with those antibodies. Even older people, I think 60 and older, they are at a risk of RSV. So we're not just talking about babies. How would it affect maybe uh, elderly populations? If you are a person that actually has, for example, COPD or, uh, or has had lung cancer or some form of like severe asthma and you're above 60 or 65, I think that there is also one similar medication that is actually approved for them. So now they're, they're starting to promote that for elderly people. And what it does is that, again, it does prevent the RSV to cause a severe infection. So if you are already at risk, is definitely that it's something that is, is recommended. What are some of the top questions that parents ask you? I guess the most common one is when are we going to go home? And the thing is that, for example, in the NICU, that question goes into, okay, you're going to go home when basically when the baby decides, when the baby's ready. And we have four general criteria that I tell everybody. I mean, if the baby needs to be eating all by mouth because you cannot use a tube at home, you shouldn't. Uh, the baby needs to be breathing on its own without any events, without any other problems. The maintaining the temperature and and have a certain weight that goes into the car seat. And I understand. I mean, some parents, of course, get frustrated because I mean, it's your child. You know, the natural thing is you get pregnant and you go, you deliver, and you go home. But the NICU is, is not the natural part. You know, it's a, it's a roadblock. And uh, we are thankful to have it in there and to have it available for the parents. But in the newborn nursery, for example. So in the past, there's been a lot of push to send or to discharge parents home at around 24 hours of age after the delivery. And the thing is that we noticed that a lot of those discharges, we were having a lot of readmissions. Mm -hmm. Having a lot of families that needed to come back to the hospital because of feeding issues, because of bilirubin issues, because of because of the baby not being 100% ready. So a couple of years ago, we changed that into two midnights. So basically everybody most of the parents will stay in the hospital between 36 and 48 hours after the delivery of the baby. That doesn't sound that much. That's one day or two days, one and a half days or two days, right? But if you are a mom that has been in the hospital, in labor, pushing, that is tired, that is not feeling well, that wants her own bed, that wants to see her kids and all of that, that's, that's kind of a lot. So It's difficult to rest in a hospital. It is. <laughs> Those rooms are not... It's, it's not your room. It's not your right. home. But we did that because we noticed, and after we implemented that, actually, we noticed that less kids were getting readmitted. So we did that because we want to prevent readmissions. We don't want you to come back to the hospital. Not because we don't like you. No, we do like <laughs> you. But, but it's, I mean, you need to be at home. So we changed that. And, and in pediatrics, for example, it's the same situation kind of thing. And, you know, it kind of depends. In, in pediatrics, a little bit more flexible is uh, the moment that the kid is eating and breathing okay, for example, they can go home if they had a respiratory issue. And in the case of RSV, for example, going back to the initial point, even though the disease lasts 
seven to 10 days, as long as the kid is able to breathe comfortably, is able to sleep without any oxygen requirement, and is able to drink and eat comfortably, uh, okay, that kid can go home. It doesn't have to be 100% back to normal, but it has to be in more than in a manageable way that you can manage it at home. I've been speaking with Dr. Enrique Gomez with St. Bernard's Medical Center in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And Dr. Gomez, appreciate you being here. And the floor is yours for any final words. Well, first of all, we are here for you. We are here for the community. We are here for the parents. Our job is to have services that are available for the parents. So the parents don't have to be traveling all the time. We are we are here to work with you and to offer and to do what things are the best, you know, for you. And, and all of that is based on evidence. Any of the things that we do in the hospital, for example, any of the the things that we, in, interventions that we do for newborns in the hospital, they are based on evidence. They are based on studies. They are based on, I mean, I'm not coming here to talk to you about my photos without me spending hours reading and looking into the studies and, and, and spending hours interpreting the statistics of the studies. You know, we have a medication that we use, which is called the synergies, as, as I mentioned, but now we have a medication that is better. Mm-hmm. It's not only better, it's more available for everybody. So the reason why we want to start working with it as soon as possible and we want to implement it as soon as possible is because we want to prevent more kids to come into the hospital. You know, we want to prevent that those admissions. So yes, yeah, so we are here for you and, and we are here to do our best to provide the best care that we can. That wraps up this edition of HealthWave. If you haven't subscribed yet, search for us on any of the major podcast services, Apple, Spotify, Google, Pocket Casts, even more. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. And finally, if you're listening to us on either Apple or Spotify, leave us a five-star review to help your friends and family find us. If you have suggestions on a health topic you'd like to hear, send St. Bernard's Healthcare a message on any of the social media platforms. Each health wave is sponsored, promoted, and produced by the marketing team at St. Bernard's Healthcare, Laura Pickens, Sarah Preston, Mackenzie Thomason, Laura Gunter, Amy Hart, Eric Watson, and Allison Johnson. Episodes scripting, recording, and editing are done by Mitchell Nell. Our theme music is by Scott Holmes. For HealthWave, I'm Mitchell Nell. Thanks for tuning in.